Cinema Jaws is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from our respective homes in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Rye, the movie guy, and sitting alongside us is... Phil me and Phil. How we doing tonight, boys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we continue our celebration of 2021 with our top five favorite scenes of the year. You know, I, I want to give a little behind the scenes. One thing that me and Rai share, a hobby we have in common, is this this journaling thing that we do, right? And every year we write down all the movies we've seen. And you had this great suggestion, Rai, where you actually also keep track of your favorite scenes in your journal. I did not do that this year, but I am going to be doing it in 2022. So thank you for the suggestion. It, it was fun to do because I, I tried to do it with... Uh, performances as well because these are things that we highlight at the end of the year some of our favorite scenes our performances so th- throughout the year i'll make a note i'll come home and I'll, I'll write my thoughts sometimes on a movie and a side note hey remember this at the end of the year let's talk about this particular scene so i got some good ones pulled out that's great that i mean to have the 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 you know the forethought to do that through as you go throughout the year it's a wonderful thing to share to the jawheads When we are covering a topic such as this, Matt, we have to have a prolific, prolific person, a a man of immense criticism, you know, somebody that sees a ton of films. So who do we got joining us shortly? Mark Dusick is back in the house. Prolific doesn't begin to describe it. Ryan, what's your guess this year for how many movies Mark saw in 2021? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I saw a tweet and I don't think it was real. He had to be, he had to be joking, but it could be upwards. Hold on to your hats here, Jawheads. It could be upwards of 500 movies. I'm not sure if I read that right. It's, it might be 400. It could possibly be 500. Dude, even if it's 300, I mean, I, I get to like a hundred movies in a year and I feel damn good about myself. I'm right with you. I hit 201 yesterday, 201. And I thought, wow, all right, got, got over that 200 hump. I'm feeling good. Mark puts us to shame. He puts us to shame. So can't wait to have him back on. Agree. Besides that, we have more going on, don't we, Phil? Yes, it is the very first Cinema Jaw of the new year, which means that it's the first of the month, which means that we have a new theme, which we're going to disclose just a little bit later. And we have a review for you guys, Matrix Resurrections. Yes, plus in honor of the year in film 2021, there were a lot of sequels, films that were coming out constantly in the series of a particular, could be a trilogy or who knows now, everything's about that. So Matt will take Mark on in 2021 sequel movie trivia. I actually think I, like, I, I feel good about that topic i might be okay at that we'll see all right so speaking of sequels and our new theme for january 2022 by the way happy new year matt happy new year happy new year jawheads um there's a 
they're just not going to let the series die. The series is scream. We are getting a new one in January and we're looking for something always January, February. It's actually hard a lot of times to figure out who to celebrate because it's a sort of a dump of a, a time for new movies. So we saw scream and we looked up who's, who's in it and who's directing this new one. And it dawned on us. Let's do Wes Craven who did the original scream movies and, we have never really talked about or dug deep into his filmography. So January 2022, we kick it off with Wes Craven. This is one of your favorite directors. I mean, yeah, that's that's good news to the horror kid in me, but it is an odd choice for January. But whatever, man, Wes Craven, I'm, I'm all about it. We're going there. So we're starting this podcast off with a Wes Craven fact. Yeah, as Ryan mentioned, it actually has to do with the first scream. Uh, so it's very topical that Ryan was bringing that up. Uh, West nearly turned down the the role to direct the first Scream because the very first scene with Drew Barrymore reminded him too much uh, of the climax sequence of the last house on the left film. And he didn't want to do that because it was too close, too similar. Hmm. I've never seen the original last house on the left. So I'm going to catch up with it. It's January. It's West Craven month here on Cinema Jaw. Good time to do it, Matt. I, I will say this before you watch that movie, Ryan, just... Be prepared. Be prepared. It's very unpleasant. It's brutal in a whole different way. I'm prepared for our next guest. I'll tell you that much, Matt. This man, (laughs) as we mentioned, prolific, sees tons of movies. He's joining us again. I think last year he did best performances with us, but we'll clarify. But he is the man behind MarkReviews.com, where you can find all his reviews. Mark Dusick, welcome back to Cinema Jaw. Hello. It's good to be back. And yeah, it was performances last year. So Right. Change it up and we do scenes this year. What do you like better? Scenes or performances to talk about? Um I'm good with either. I like talking about acting because I don't think a lot of people sometimes get into detail on performances and movies, even in reviews. Um I try to when I can if something really stands out. So I do like talking about them um a bit more in detail, but I, I like scenes. It's fun to go through and realize the the weird thing is I have like some really great movies that didn't even make the cut because there was no there were no scenes in any in a couple of them that stood out. It's like a, you know, the whole totality of the movie is what counts for me. I'm like that. Like, how do you pick a single performance in Summer of Soul? You can't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I. So Summer of Soul won't be appearing on my list. That's a, <laughs> a little spoiler <laughs> no, for ahead of time. S- same here, man. Like I, I tried to stay away from my top 10 list as much as I could and pick out, highlight some other things. So right off yeah, the top, I, ev- everyone's wondering, what is the number? What did you see this year, Mark? What's the official number? Sure, um, we'll go with that. It's Yeah, sure. Um, I, I believe it is exactly 505. Wow. Jesus. And that's new <laughs> movies, correct? New yeah, movies. new releases from 2021. I, I mean, think it's you, exactly five five oh five. You so you dig deep. I mean, we talk about this every year, so we don't have to spend too much time on it. But you like honestly, you you must be kind yeah. of like scraping, watching every link that comes your way. Five hundred movies in a year. That's like what? How many a day? Like a couple a day? Almost at least two a, a day. Lot. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's about what one and a half or so a day, three hundred sixty-five days. My math isn't the best, so <laughs> somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, that's why I watch movies and write about them because my math isn't great. <laughs> um, but no, it's yeah, it's a lot, and I I yeah, I like to dig into 
all the foreign films I can. I love all the independent films I can. Sometimes I don't love digging into some of the cheaper ones, but what can you do? Sometimes you get a, you get a, um, a hidden gem. And a lot of times, unfortunately you get something that's like, Oh, I probably shouldn't have bothered with that, <laughs> which is, you know, it's, it, it happens. And I, I will skip like reviews of those. If I feel like I'm just going to be unnecessarily cruel or I don't really have anything to say about it. Um, but yeah, I think I still think even with reviews, I ended up with like 400, over 450, let's say. Wow. Jesus. For the year. That I is think. absolutely crazy. But that's how discoveries happen too, right? I mean, a lot of these, yeah. I, and I feel bad because, I mean, we've talked about it briefly and, and not to go you know behind the scenes too much, but a lot of times you get emails from so, some of these smaller studios or films that do seem in, interesting. I just don't have the time to watch them all. And I think... If somebody, maybe if I, I run into a Mark Dusick at, at a screening, he might tell me, hey, check out this movie. And then it's like, yes, that's how that buzz starts, right? It's got to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of miss. That's one of the things I miss about not having as many screenings to go to altogether. Because, yeah, there's there are a couple of times I'd see something and I'd ask people like, oh, did you see this? Did you see this? And then kind of push it because I really liked it. And it's something I noticed people hadn't watched like there was at by the end of the year there's this great film from mexico called um identifying features it was in my top 10 of the year and i noticed on my letterbox like me and four other people had seen it on my friends list and i'm friends with you know a lot of bigger people yeah big <laughs> film critics. critics yeah or and, and like you gotta see this you gotta see this and no one really got a chance to see it and that might have been something i might have pushed Mm. um to some people if we had been talking about movies that come out around that time um yeah i kind of miss that so i always talk about um the the appropriate time to watch a movie like i really like watching uh early morning on on weekends um for especially like a slow burn or a documentary do you have a particular time when you're watching that many movies does it just like if I have a free two hours, I'm watching the movie or how does it work when you're watching 500 movies in a year? Sometimes. Yeah. Like if, if I know like it's going to be a really busy week, I will watch something at night, you know, when I have some time before going to bed, I'll put something on and, and not right before bed, obviously I'm still awake. Um, but most of the time it's like in the afternoon on a weekend, um, or after I finished writing for the morning and the day, I'll put something on, um, before my wife gets home <laughs> so I have, you know, that time. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much whenever it's available. What I will tell you is it is not the best idea to watch the tragedy of Macbeth at midnight, which is the first time I saw the tragedy of Macbeth, not realizing that the, that Joel Cohen was going to go full bore on the play. And so it midnight's not the best time for Shakespeare. If you're not ready for that much Shakespeare. Um, but I did watch it again. And, you know, I was like, it, in the first time I watched it, I'm like, this is really good. I know this is really good because I love this play. I know this play. And then I had to watch it again just to make sure, like, yeah, okay. It, yeah, they just did the play entirely, and it's really damn good. That's good stuff. So we're going to put you on the spot here, Mark, because you see so many movies. Um, I, I wrote down, I didn't want, I just wanted to sort of surprise you here. I wrote down a bunch of questions of uh, best ofs of the year, and I'm just going to throw them at you. Okay. Rapid fire. And out of the 500 movies that you saw, you have to just come up with the answers right away as fast as you can, okay? Matt, keep track of these so we can comment okay. afterwards, okay? Here we go. Okay, ready. Okay. Here we go, Mark. Okay. Big year. 500 movies. Here we go. Funniest movie of 2021 was? 
Red Rocket. Wow. Scariest movie of the year was. In the same breath as the documentary about COVID. <laughs> the best superhero film was. Oh, people are going to hate me. Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'm not going to hate you. Best animated okay, film you saw in 2021. Oh, that's easy. Ryan, the last dragon. Ooh. All right. A lot of musicals came out this year. Which was the best? In the Heights. Top 10. Wow. And all right. Which film do you predict will win the best picture Oscar? I hate this. Um, I'm thinking West Side Story right now. Interesting. And I'll leave you with this. Your number one movie of the year is. This is one I would have loved to have talked to people. I know a lot of people saw it. Sundance, it is nine days. All right. I'm a, I'm one of those that have seen nine days, so I can Yay. comment on this film. I like this one quite a bit. Yeah, I love it, obviously. Nine days, Matt. You gotta catch up with this one. So wait, so you think you think um for best picture, you're thinking West Side Story? I kinda am. I mean, is, I, is, I mean, the other one that people are talking about is Belfast, but I don't see Belfast getting, you know, that much support. I think West Side Story is a big crowd pleaser. It's picking up in terms of box office recently, not in big numbers, but it's picking up. Um, and I think when, you know, people in the Academy start watching it, they're going to see, you know, what Spielberg did with it. And I think they're going to love it. And they're going to remember like, oh, we rewarded we rewarded this movie. Uh, what? Like oh geez 60 years ago <laughs> yeah totally and i don't think that's gonna hurt it yeah i guess i don't, I don't know. know i don't know either i mentioned yeah i mentioned when we reviewed it on the show i mean me and matt didn't get behind it like some critics actually adored it we weren't fully on board but you can see the craft here everything about the movie that spielberg did is extremely impressive from the cinematography the costumes the set designs all of that is as good as it comes so i can see it picking up a lot of awards does it win best picture i'm not positive it is a safe choice though right it is i'm i'm so, curious what you guys think will because i don't i don't have another contender in my head that's like oh yeah well, that's going to win it I, I, I think right now Belfast has been forced on us to be a best picture winner, but I, yeah, I don't think, I don't exactly. think any of the critics or the crowd really got behind it the way I think the studio was hoping we would react. Yeah. That they way. were hoping, yeah, they were hoping like, you know, just this little movie that could, and it, it, I don't think it turned out that way. The story is too limited in terms of history. The troubles is a difficult subject to put in movies and then to, play it that way where it feels like you know a kid's version of it but it's not quite a kid's version of it i don't i don't think it works in the end but that's that's my opinion but i also just don't see it as that crowd-pleasing movie that everybody's gonna rally behind come awards time but that's you know i could be completely wrong so your favorite superhero movie if i if i got this correct yeah. was Zack snyder's justice league that's that is correct and yes, I did see Spider-Man. That was one of the 505 movies I saw. I, that would be my runner-up would be Spider-Man No Way Home. I did I did enjoy that. but Four hours long. I yeah. would think that uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League would actually get some uh, you know negatives because it's too long when you're trying to squeeze in 500 movies in a year. You're like, Jesus, four hours. Come on, guy. 
look, you've set it up at 11 o'clock in the morning and you watch it straight through for four hours and you're fine. It's three o'clock in the afternoon when you're done. It's, it feels like no time has passed at all. I mean, a little <laughs> it feels like four hours has passed. No, I liked it because I wasn't a fan of I wasn't a fan of uh, Whedon's uh, official unofficial cut of Justice League. I wasn't a fan of that. And this this one solved the issues that I had with the original theatrical cut of it. And I think Cyborg's really great character for, you know, superhero movie like this. Um, Flash comes across a bit, you know, more developed. You don't get as much with Aquaman, but it made sense at the time because he would have had his own movie later on. I, I liked it. I'm not saying it's a great movie. Uh, there, I don't think there were any great superhero movies this year, but I think it's the best. Oh, come on, bunch. come on. What? I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Spider-Man was a great superhero movie. It was. It was was, capital G great superhero movie. It is. It is definitely one of the good Marvel movies. (laughs) Marvel Cinematic Universe movies for sure. All right. Well, I'll take that. I'll take it. I did like it. (laughs) Good stuff. For the jawheads that want to check out all of these reviews, where should we send them online, Mark? Uh, You want to check out markreviewsmovies.com. And that's where I have everything <laughs> i have 20 years it'll be 21 years coming up uh here of um uh, of archived reviews since 2001 um there's a lot of them there um and yeah hopefully it's all easy to find on the website um and i will post everything on that homepage when it, as it comes out nice and we'll have Sounds a link good. in the in the show notes for the jawheads yeah. as always definitely mark is sitting in on this entire jaw Matt, you mentioned it. Matrix is back. Yes, indeed, Ryan. After the better part of two decades, the green cascading code of the Matrix is making a return to the box office and the home box office. Recastings, agings, resurrections, the characters we last saw in the early aughts are back. Can this return to the rabbit hole be just as deep as the original, or is it too little too late? Ryan, Mark, and I jacked back into the Matrix to find out. I remember this. So deja vu. And yet it's obviously all wrong. Maybe this isn't the story we think it is. They taught you good. Made you believe their world was all you deserved. But some part of you knew that was a lie. Some part of you remembered what was real. It's so easy to forget how much noise the Matrix pumps into your head. Something else makes the same kind of noise. War. Boy, Rye, do I want to tell you how much I loved Matrix Resurrections. Unfortunately, that would be a false simulated reality. Matrix Resurrections makes Matrix 3 look like Lawrence of Arabia. In a year of nostalgic fan service movies, Matrix could have been a Spidey or Ghostbusters like self-examination. And I believe that's what Lana Wachowski was sort of going for. Unfortunately, what came out was a tired mess of a movie. The original Matrix was a landmark of special effects and advancement of the action genre, but its sequels were diminishing in return and Resurrections follows suit. Mr. Tom Anderson, a.k.a. Neo, 
played by Keanu Reeves, finds himself once again living a humdrum life while he has forgotten that he was once Neo, or at least that's what the movie kind of posits, or perhaps he never was, he still has that familiar feeling that something more real is lurking behind the looking glass of his boring routine. Meanwhile, he pines for a Trinity dead ringer he sees every day at a coffee shop and works on his mental health issues with his therapist, played by Neil Patrick Harris, one of the movie's highlights. The walls of reality become blurred when he starts receiving text messages from a fictional world he created called The Matrix. To call this movie a mess is an insult to messes. Not a single plot thread or character arc is adequately explored, and several are just left unceremoniously dangling without a lick of explanation. The action we do get is fair to poor, and its execution and creativity, it's repetitive, and Neo's force-like powers, super repetitive, they never develop or change over the course of the film. There are a few highlights. Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves, they still look great, believe it or not. And Neil Patrick Harris actually came to the set to act. Unfortunately, he was the only one. The rest of the cast, the concepts, the scripts, the action, plots, themes, execution, and the milieu of this movie are just crap. I'm not even going to come up with a better adjective. Just total crap. I wanted to love this, but in this reality, the new Matrix film is a total bomb. Wow. I'm shocked here, Matt. I literally am, am actually shocked. I'm, I hate when you come out so strong against something or vice versa, the other way, you come out so positive on something. Um, I don't want to go to the extreme and say I absolutely loved this movie, but I really liked it. Really? <laughs> I, I was on board with this. Absolutely. And the okay, more, do the explain. More, all right. The more time I've had to sit with this film, the more I've grown to like it. After it ended, I actually thought to myself, where else could have it went? Where would have the story gone that would have satisfied me? And I, I don't know. I think this is probably the best option. I mean, it, we're all, you're, you've said it in your review. We're all about nostalgia. And I think the point that Lana Wachowski was trying to make was the fact that she's actually trying to examine why are we so hooked on nostalgia so much why is this such drawn to us constantly this is what we we're we're craving we don't want new ideas anymore was yeah, the but point calling of the your movie. shit burger why do you like shit burgers and feeding it to people is still feeding them a shit burger so so that's where it comes into like exactly was it completely executed the right way i'm not going to say this is again i'm not going one way and saying this is a masterpiece but i do think the point was made there of saying we're constantly craving the nostalgia factor and we're not getting the new ideas. And when we did the review, we did a, a Patreon review of the first three Matrix movies. I commented about how I watched that documentary on the second disc of Matrix Reloaded. And it, it talked about exactly that. The fact that Warner Brothers ever gave the Wachowskis $100 million to make the original Matrix is, is so unheard of nowadays. It just doesn't happen. And unfortunately, we're not getting original stories. I think that was the complete point of Resurrections. I enjoyed it. it, it was a, if you watch the movie, Neo never fires a gun. 
Um, you know, obviously the first trilogy, heavy on violence. This one clearly was trying to do a story about love between these two characters. It's not necessarily about Neo this time as much as it is about Trinity. I enjoyed it. This, I would say overall is the second best Matrix film after the original. Mark? Oh my God. Um, Okay. So I can see both of your points. I'm going to come in here and play the reviewer counselor here. Okay. So... (laughs) Right. I agree with you that it is exploring the ideas of why we keep doing these rehashed things of for nostalgia purposes. That entire, what, first 45 minutes or so, I really liked it. I really, really was liking it. I was digging the hell out of it. Like you are playing with this, these ideas. You're playing with the very idea of calling back to the original. Why do we need another sequel? Actually calling out Warner Brothers to their face in their own movie and saying, the Warner Brothers wants us to make another Matrix game in this, and we don't really want to do it. Very cool. I dug that. Matt, I see your point, though, because it is just after all of that first 45 minutes or so, it just feels like you're doing the same exact thing over again and not as well as in even, you know, Reloaded, which I liked. I liked, really liked the first Matrix, obviously. I like Reloaded mostly because of the action sequences. I think Revolutions is a mess. Um, but I mean, yeah, all that action, once it goes exactly where, you know, it's going to have to go, because if that first 45 minutes is feels the way that it feels, if it actually is true, then the first three movies don't count and you know, they're not going to do that. But what if they had, that would have been the daring thing to say, know that thing that you love so much. Well, maybe you shouldn't have loved it that much. And here's what the reality of it is. That would have been daring. That would have been different. But once you realize what the truth of the whole thing with the Matrix is, it's like, okay, here we go again, and the action is not as good. I don't think there's a cool gimmick like the bullet time thing in the first movies. Um, they they yeah, try it. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not as interesting with the like moving faster than slow motion. I think is the idea of there. It's like that's visually unappealing. It's not clever as clever as bullet time itself. It's just I. Yeah, I don't and it's know. been done. It was done in the X Men movies by the is, by Quicksilver. That's right. It was done, and it was done much better in those movies. Um, yeah, I just, I, yeah, I'm not. I don't hate it. I think it's. I think it's a little bit better than Revolutions because I think Revolutions is just junk. That just no doesn't. I, yeah, I, I got to say, guys, listen. It's 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 not even close but, to, to, to to Revolutions because oh, bite your tongue. Here's here's exactly why. It does not pick a lane whatsoever. You're, you guys are giving way too much credit to the first 45 minutes um, where it's it, it's self-referential. It talks about video games. What you have to keep in mind is since the original Matrix, this idea of living in a simulated reality has become somewhat mainstream. There's so much history to draw on and everything that's happened in video games and everything that's going on with the metaverse, they leave that all on the table. Yeah. Then we get reintroduced to an old enemy and that's just totally bobbled just totally completely bobbled i didn't know if if the fat guy was supposed to be his his arch nemesis or the good-looking ceo type partner guy was supposed to be his arch nemesis i lost track that whole thing with smith didn't work it could have been about their uneasy alliance but they they poorly executed on that and then the thing with Neil Patrick Harris, and I'm, I'm avoiding spoilers, though I don't even know why. He was the best part of the movie. But even that is completely laughable in its, its 
like oh really and then ryan seriously the power of love everybody if that's what you want out of your action movies then i don't know what to tell you it was lame lame we're gonna hold hands and everyone else is just gonna explode from the power of our love nice nice give me more of that i like the power of love i'm all for it but also fantasy in the news It's interesting that that literally a, a week earlier the the Spider Man movie came out. And Matt was on here talking about uh, fan service. Um, I think your comment was, or your even your movie poster quote when we reviewed it was, you thought Ghostbusters was going to be the fan service movie of the year, but it turned out it was Spider Man. Wasn't it something along those lines? Yes, but fan service shouldn't be literally showing but, your old movie in your new movie. That's the point. <laughs> That the point was the point, but that's not the point exactly. Was that is that they were making fun of the fan service? Like, is this what you like? Their point. Lana Wachowski was literally saying, like, this is what Warner Brothers wanted us to do inside the movie. They were saying, what is this? What you guys want just to see these the same exact rethreads again, or do you guys want original content? And they're they're commenting on the fact that we are constantly. Wanting for some reason the nostalgia, the rethreads, the more sequels. We love to see all the Spider Men together. Why? Why is that? That's what they were exploring in this movie. You didn't get that, but that's what they were no, trying for. I, obvious. It's so obvious that she might as well have clobbered over. It, it should have been called Matrix. Do you think it's cool to do reboots and rehashes? So, so, and, so Matt, what did what did you want then? You wanted you wanted Neo I, I wanted, in the Matrix again with bullet time again, and and Agent Smith rehashing his. Same character that's what you wanted i wanted that idea to be explored creatively and cleverly and then have it pay out but unfortunately it it, it's not explored cleverly at all it's ham-fisted and then what we get in terms of action on the screen is just the actual retread that they're trying to make fun of you can't have it both ways I don't know. I don't think they were they were they were going for the idea that we were supposed to. I think by the end we were almost realizing that the action and the re, the whole retelling of the thing was already like, yeah, we get the point. They win. We don't want to see this again. But clearly, Matt K wants to see it again. That's not true. That's it, that's what you're taking away from this. Mark, that's what I'm Mark, taking you away. Know what I'm, I'm taking you know what I'm away. To say. You yeah, want to be plugged back into the Matrix? No, I I wanted something completely different on my end. I wanted something completely different. I said that first 45 minutes hints at something completely different, and then it just feels like it goes right back to the same stuff again with new faces and a different coat of paint. And here's some familiar faces for you to look at and remember this plot line. It's kind of like that, except now this other character is really the important person. It, it's not. It's not different. It's the same. And I, this is a, this is why I failed as a counselor, because you guys are at each other's throats. And I tried to bring you together. <laughs> and this is why I watch movies and write about them, because I can't be a counselor. <laughs> Dude. I will say one last thing about this movie. The aging makeup on Jada Pinkett Smith was, was absolutely laughable. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Come on. I love that. That's the final takeaway. <laughs> it's true. But yes, that was. And the statue was a little... Um, wonky i think is a good word for it the big the statue, statue of morpheus yeah i didn't want to spoil it but yeah the statue of yeah. yeah that's like i don't think it matters anymore as you said it's been on home box office for a while so well we do jaw-dropping moments matt do you have one for us 
Yeah, there was one really good special effect. It was a callback, the helicopter crash. They did this in the first movie where that you see the the glass ripple, but it looks so much better in 2021. It was I, the only moment where I was like, "Wow, that looks cool." How about you? For me, uh, Mark Mark touched on the scene, and and it's actually uh, a good chunk of the movie here. And this is the moment where Neo is with the game designers, what what they're calling the game designers, and they're calling out that they're going to make the game this fourth game of the matrix, no matter what, if Neo's going to help them or not. And it's definitely clearly a conversation that Warner brothers had with the Wachowskis, right? We can read right into it. The Warner brothers was going to make matrix four with the Wachowskis or without it's right on the table. Um, I love from that point all the way through the game designers talking about what we want to see again and, and what we need. We need a bullet time. And during that is when the, uh, Jefferson Airplane White Rabbit song comes on that we saw in the trailer, but we get it throughout the whole thing. I think that's when the film worked at its best. That's when I was like, all right, this is completely clicking for me. That was a cool scene. I'll give you that. Yeah, that montage would be my pick too, because you're just like, oh, maybe all this is what it seems to be, and maybe it's not. It felt it felt a little like, you know, having your head played with in the way that, you know, the Matrix was at its best and that scene and some other ones so yeah Mm. uh movie poster quote mine is i wish i could take a red pill and live in a world where the new matrix movie doesn't suck how about you right tough crowd tough crowd i went with this is better than you remember how many jaws you given this stinker we're on a four jaw scale here mark yeah I went three Jaws, three wow. Jaws. I am recommending, I am recommending Matrix Resurrections. Jawheads see it. Matt is wrong on this one. No, I'm not let's wrong. Go, let's, go to Mark, lose... let's go to Mark next because I know Mark didn't hate it like you did. Mark, four Jaw scale. What do you give I this I give one? it two. All right. Middle of the road. Of so the road. a random moviegoer comes up to you and he says, should I see the Matrix or should I not? Do you say no or do you recommend? I would wonder what they thought of the first three. And then because also, <laughs> did you see the first three? Because if you didn't see the first three, you're going to be lost. Actually, maybe if you hadn't seen the original three, that would really blow your mind because you'd have no idea what right. the hell's going on. Could be a masterpiece if you've not seen if the other three. Them, but that's an interesting idea. Matt, how many Jaws? <laughs> One and a half Jaws. Oh, see, this isn't that big of a divide. It's between a mostly negative and a, you know, slight positive recommendation. It's not that big of a gap. You guys can you guys can cross that gap. I, I doubt it, I'll ever talk to Matt again, to be honest, Mark. It's, it's a clumsy. It's a clumsy. <laughs> it's a clumsy missed missed opportunity. But was it fun to see Neo and Trinity again? Yes. Hell yeah, it was. And Neil Patrick Harris is great. I love that guy. I want to see him more. So. It had its ups. Well, I might even watch it a second time. I enjoyed it that much. I thought, well, this is this is a this is a good little flick. I was happy to watch it, and I I was excited to talk about it. And then Matt came out and poo pooed on it. But uh, three jaws from Ride the Movie Guy, two jaws from Mark Dusick, and one and a half jaws from our own Matt K. Jawheads, if you see Matrix Resurrections, you have Twitter pulled up. Shoot us a tweet. We're at CinemaJaw, or you can always email us feedback at CinemaJaw.com. 
We are celebrating 2021 in film, and we're doing it by naming our top five favorite scenes of the year. Mark is getting us started. Um, when you see as many movies as, as you have, was it tough to narrow down just five scenes, Mark? Um, I have a pretty sizable list of and including some stuff that i take off um so yeah it was a little difficult to nail them down i'm hoping this is um close enough to a finalized list that i don't need to you know pull an audible halfway through or something but i think it's i think i'm good i think i'm good what do you got sitting at number five at number five i have a scene that i'm calling feel the music from coda um mm, yes the, yeah yeah everybody knows what scene i'm talking about here if you've seen this this is a apple tv plus original film um really really good it just missed out on like making my top 10 of the years and somewhere in there um but in this scene it's about uh ruby played by amelia jones um who is the hearing child of um uh hearing impaired uh parents and a brother and she is an inspiring singer singer and she's starting this the whole film is about her practicing for this concert and at some point you realize because it's pretty clear that her parents and her family aren't, aren't going to be able to hear how she well she's doing because the entire question is is she going to go off to become a singer or is she going to stay home and work with the family to help them out there's this great scene though where they figure out a way for the father to understand how talented his daughter is and i don't want to completely ruin it but you know the title of the scene as i called it will probably give you a sense of it but it is just 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 heart filling it's warm it's just a great great scene and a really good film that if you haven't seen it you should check up with um so that's coda and i'm calling it feel the music like it strong I, start to our top fives absolutely i'm a big champion of this film mark it's it's number one on my list for the year i just cool. found it so delightful yeah. yeah all right i i'm going to the absolute other extreme here um there's a filmmaker who i once maligned here on the show and was corrected and gave actual thoughts and credence to the the correction that was given to me and i thought about it a lot and I'm saying that James Wan is one of the best uh, horror directors of today. And he gave us a movie that I think was intentionally tongue in cheek in 2021 called Malignant. But there is a scene that is absolutely undeniably shocking when and I'm calling it the reveal when we finally learn the truth about what is going on with this twin and its its origin. And when we finally see this home movie and they reveal the, the body horror of this scene is truly shocking. I haven't experienced something quite that strong, maybe since Cronenberg's Fly. Um, it was that good. I'm not saying the rest of the movie is that good, although I had a lot of fun with it. But that was a cool scene that, that just stuck right out of my mind. I, I, this was an honorable mention for me uh, written down here. I, I love this particular scene. And, and yes, when you first see exactly what the reveal is and then there's this action sequence that takes place in the hospital that is just like bonkers i mean it's literally it's bonkers way out there. and i i've rewatched it since we've reviewed it on the show and i'm just like yeah i love that he went there and it's it's a wild scene it it plays really well i you a fan of this one mark i'm not a fan of the movie but that 
yeah but one of those kind of like the reverse of the matrix is that last 15 minutes that's where the movie picks up and kicks in and you're like where was this movie the entire time but yeah that that was a i mean i i I mean i'm not gonna be one of those people except right now i am i did see that one coming but i mean it's it's (laughs) well i think we all saw it coming yeah i mean it's still it's still cool though it didn't right. prepare Did, you for what the actual on-screen look of the thing true. was. Yeah, th- that's true. I was not expecting that. So for my number five, I, I tried to come up with something uh, on my list where it was an opening moment, since this is the opening of my top five list. So I went opening, and, and oh, for so, my number one... So meta of you. Right. And for my number one pick, I went with my favorite closing uh, moment in a movie. So... All of the movies that I saw, not quite as many as Mark, but of all the movies I saw, my favorite opening this year in 2021 came from James Bond, No Time to Die. Oh, hell yeah. And I mentioned it when we reviewed it uh, back a couple months ago, Matt. Uh, it opens with a, a horror movie vibe. We have a masked, uh, masked man approaching a house with a woman and her child. And they're alone in this house and in the middle of the woods. And he breaks in. And I, again, people may not have seen this movie, even though it seems most people have already caught up with James Bond. And he breaks into the house and the little girl is alone from her mom. And for the first, I think I, I timed it out when I rewatched the scene. It's probably about a eight minute scene. It literally plays out like you, you, you want to see a scary movie uh, yeah. in October. Yep. And I, I, I wish the rest of the movie played out as good as this opening scene because I not wasn't a huge fan of No Time to Die, but I really thought the first eight to ten minutes of this movie was extremely effective. Mark? Um, yeah, it was different for a James Bond movie, for sure. I, what I liked about No Time to Die, at least that long, long, long opening, is that it gives you that feeling of not being sure of what's going on and use kind of for the rest of the movie you're not sure exactly what's going to happen by the end and then to give you that but also to give you the traditional here's james bond doing a lot of action in a you know really cool place so that was nice um yeah i mean it's yeah it's an interesting opening scene for a bond movie for sure i loved it i think you're 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 spot on right i don't know if this movie's getting enough love well we'll see i think it'll get a few uh looks at the end of the year here mark into our fours what do you got sitting there uh my number four is um from in the heights the best musical of the year as we talked about earlier for me um and this one is abuela claudia's um life and song so there's um Mm. yeah so the whole film is about the immigrant experience and what it's like in this neighborhood and there's a character played by olga uh, Meredith, um, who's like basically the local abuela, the local grandmother to everybody who's there because she's been there forever. And there's a scene when the climactic blackout hits where she is lying in bed and her entire life goes before her eyes and she's weighing the pros and cons of everything that she's been through from immigrating to the United States and what that meant for her and for her family and what the experience of coming to the United States and the way that people reacted to her and trying to just balance, like, did everything that I go through, was that worth it? And it's done entirely through song and through this sort of representational 
dance on a subway. It's an amazing sequence. And Meredith is just fantastic in it. She's a scene sealer just for that, that one musical number. Um, and I think it just encapsulates everything that the film is going for just in that one sequence about, you know, whether or not, you know, looking for a new life somewhere is better than the old life you left behind. And what did you lose? What did you gain? And is it, is it worth it? And I think it's, I think it's a great little scene and it's, you know, I, I, I think it's a fantastic film too, but yeah, that scene really stuck out for me. I agree. I mean, that's, that was one of the more beautiful moments because you get these flashbacks and, you know, she's dancing through the subways and you see everybody in the period costumes and stuff. It's beautiful. There's another standout scene in that film. I don't know if it's on somebody else's list. It's on it my, might it's, be. All right, it might cool. be. I won't, yeah, I won't mention any more ones in there. Oh, there, there is. There, yeah. One is going to come up on my okay, list. Cool. All right. Okay. Then that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> All right, my number four. Um, I am going with what the 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 scene I am just calling fan service from Ghostbusters Afterlife. I didn't think that they were gonna go there. And once they did, I didn't think it was going to make me feel anything. But damn it, it did. It it just did. I I, I don't want to spoil it for like the five people that haven't seen Ghostbusters Afterlife, but I'm just gonna say it in kind of code when we see what's up with Egon at the end of the movie and how he um, fits into the mix there in that climax. Dude, that could have been so botched. That could have been so stupid and ham-fisted and fell flat on its face, especially when you're dealing with the real Harold Ramis, who's a legend. But I think they handled it and I and and it gave me chills and the hairs of my arms stood up and it as a Ghostbusters fan, it brought me back to my childhood. And damn it, that's what the movies is about. A, a transportive experience that 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 really made me forget about everything that was going outside the theater. Uh, and, and I appreciated the hell out of it. What did you think, guys? Well, I remember I, I was watching this at the screening. I happened to be sitting next to Lana Wachowski and she turned to me and she's like, this is exactly, exactly what we don't want to do with Matrix Resurrections. <laughs> well, yeah, she, she successfully didn't do that. Made me care. I mean, literally, I mean, literally, Resurrections, she doesn't want to do this. And I, I thought, wow, fantastic, Lana. Lest any, anyone would think that was a true story. But no, Matt, I remember talking to him afterwards, and it was one of those where Matt is actually turning away from me because he's got tears coming down his cheeks. He's so moved by the ending scene. I'm not the biggest Ghostbusters fan. I appreciated the movie. It didn't do anything like it did uh, for Matt. Uh, Mark, I don't know where you sit with the Ghostbusters. Um, I kind of like the first movie and then it's like, all right. Um, and I'm not huge on Afterlife. And I will say that, oh man, yeah, I don't. we're not spoiling it. We're not spoiling it. We're not spoiling it. I think that those tactics are questionable. I think the effect of the scene, though, ultimately is closer to what Matt and how he describes it. I think I think the balance of being respectful in a completely disrespectful tactic kind of creates this balance, if that makes any sense. Like it I, does. OK. And like, yeah, so I get it. And I was like, just because you can see it on everybody's faces, like even though that isn't there you can tell like they know what's happening and you kind of feel it and you feel it more through the other people on screen than you do through the effect. 
I don't think I, I spoiled well it. I don't think I spoiled it. No, you didn't. Okay. I, and I think that the the effect is is pretty darn good too, and that yeah. helps sell it. Yeah, it was it was well executed. It's not like um, Grand Moff Tarkin in um, Rogue One or anything like that. Right. Right. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. All right. For my number four, I go completely different. We're not getting emotional on mine. We're going badass with mine at number four. There were a lot of great fight scenes throughout the year. And my favorite by far came out early in the year. Jeez, I think this, uh, can we throw it in the fish tank? Because this was one of the first movies that opened up back in the theaters uh, when this came out exactly, Phil. I'm, I'm interested. Maybe April. The movie was Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. And I love this bus scene. That's what I'm calling this one. The bus scene in Nobody. And we have Bob Odenkirk playing um, a sheepish, sheepish suburban dad who's just had enough. And their family has experienced a break-in and he needs to get something out of his system and he goes to this bus and there's uh, some troublemakers on the bus and a fight scene ensues that is so fantastic because it's not about the pain that they're trying to inflict as much as absorb and we very seldom see that where all the characters are getting beat up, Bob Odenkirk included. At one point, he gets thrown out of the bus and has the courage to stand back up and go back in for more punishment. And he's giving out his own punishment at the same time. But I think that's what made the film, the scene and the film in general so special was it wasn't just about one guy being able to just beat everybody up a la John Wick. It was about how this guy almost like the Rocky Balboa of action heroes. He could take a beating like nobody's business, but he's still going to give everybody else a beating also. And he was just not going to quit. I love the bus scene, Matt. That is a special, special fight scene. Bob Odenkirk trained for months for that role. And who'd have thought, you know, he's kind of a, like a nebbish comedian. We know probably best from better call Saul and, and um, uh, breaking bad. Of course, Mr. Show as well prior to that. Um, but he's, uh, you know, a bit of a behind the scenes comedian writer type. And here he comes as an action hero. It was a tough sell. But boy, oh, boy, did 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 that scene make me a believer? Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. And I think, yeah, right. You nailed why it works. It's because he does get his ass handed to him to a certain degree in that in that sequence. And it makes you it that's important when you have this sort of character who's just ordinary slob who turns out to be you know badass it's like if if you feel like he's just straight up badass can beat up everybody kill everybody it's just eventually it just becomes repetitive but seeing him get his ass kicked on that bus too is part of the reason why it works as well as it does because there are actual legitimate stakes to that and everything else that follows it because like you know that this guy can lay on a beating but is he going to be able to take all of that that's coming at him as this movie goes. And yeah, Odenkirk's great in that and completely unexpected. Yeah. I don't know if it's streaming on one of the major services. Throw that in the fish tank also, Phil, uh, when you look up when it came out. Into our threes we go. Mark, what do you got sitting uh, there? My number three is another musical somehow. <laughs> I don't know what happened this there year. Were, there were a lot of them. There it seemed like lot. one out of every five films was a musical. It's cool. It's making a come. Another reason why West Side Story might win Best Picture. 
Speaking of West Side Story, the prologue from West Side Story is my number three, because that's the moment that I realized, holy crap, Steven Spielberg did it. And I'm not a huge fan of the original West Side Story, the original movie of West Side Story. I think the play has some inherent problems to it. I think those become clearer as this goes. The romance isn't that great. Um, The lead characters aren't that interesting. The screenplay fleshes them out a bit in this version, which is very much appreciated. So the love story kind of works a little bit better than you'd expect. But you cannot deny from the very first moment with the prologue, with the Jets going around town, snapping their fingers and dancing, it somehow works because it they feel like a tough gang that just happened to occasionally pull off a balletic movement as they're strolling <laughs> down the street. And they the way that Spielberg and I don't know who the choreographer is off the top of my head, but the choreographer, they make it they make those little flourishes of dance feel tough. There's it's very yeah. it's it's not subtle, but the, the way that it's staged makes it work because you actually feel like these guys are tough goons who are going around beating up people in town that they don't like and that they are intimidating and you don't get that sense in the original movie but you get it in this one um and so and then you have leonard birdstein's music which is just fantastic i think i was humming that for a couple days afterwards just the prologue because it's great piece of music um and you can tell spielberg knows how to move the camera with these characters as they do the dances and that becomes even clearer in other scenes i also love the cool number that's another great one the way they moved it and changed the context of that scene um so you know right from the start that spielberg's got his um got his stuff in order here and it's really really good it's shocking and we mentioned this when we talked about it um when the film came out that this was spielberg's first directed musical it doesn't feel that way at all and we we shouldn't be shocked by that the guy's a master um when it comes to directing films but it really did feel like well this is what he does he makes musicals it and this was his first musical. He's just that prolific that he can just, all right, I'm going to make a musical and damn it, he's going to make it just about as good as anybody possibly could. Of course he is. He's Spielberg. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, you think about his action sequences in anything and they're like little comic beats and musical cues and, and it's like, you know, like I'm thinking like Minority Report, there's that whole thing on the outside that feels a bit like not a musical number, but there's like comedy bits in there that you don't expect. He, he knows his stuff. He obviously, <laughs> but yeah, it makes, it makes complete sense that he would nail his first musical. And I hope he does a couple more Spielberg fiddler. When <laughs> please <laughs> no arguments here, man. Absolutely. Totally. All right. That swings it to, to my number three. Ryan, I think you were on the right track with with No Time to Die, and I am a fan of the opening sequence. It is unusual for a Bond film, unusual for an action film, to have such a dark horror like opening. But the 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 moment that scintillated all of us and set us on the edges of our seat was the five to ten minutes that they spend in Cuba when we meet Agent Paloma who is just absolutely magnetic. The chemistry between Paloma and Bond is, is the stuff that the, the James Bond movies are built on without being too gross. You know what I'm talking about? Like some of the old Bond movies are a little exploitative. This wasn't that. And she has her moment to shine just right alongside uh, Daniel Craig. And that action sequence is like, whoa, that I wasn't expecting it came out of left field. I fell in love with Paloma right away. I don't know how they're going to make another Bond movie without her in it. 
At least the, the next actress couple. we're talking about is uh, Anna. Armas. Yes, that, that's who we're talking about here, right? Yes. Yep. Excellent scene. She could almost be the next James Bond. I agree. And I don't think I'm alone on that. Like, it, it, it may just happen. We'll see. Mm, maybe a different character. Obviously, it should be James Bond, Jane Bond, whatever. They go. Right. She plays, we'll it, see. She I mean, plays it a bit differently than James Bond. <laughs> but that's why. It but works. I did like that scene. Yeah. yeah. It was electrifying. Yeah. My number three, back to the musical. We can't get away from it here, Mark, and it is from In the Heights. Didn't make my top ten. I'm not as high on it as others, but... Man, there were some moments of pure magic. And I, I, I do think when we look back at when we saw this, it was a joy to go back into the theaters. This is one of the first press screenings we had where it was exciting to be in the theater again. Wow, what a time it was. I'm going with the pool scene in the Heights. Yeah. And again, this is another one that I, I've actually rewatched this since I've seen it. I've probably have rewatched it maybe five times, not joking. Um, I think it's the most ambitious scene in the movie. The entire neighborhood goes to the pool. It's like a really hot day and they go to the pool. And at the same time, this lottery is going to be drawn. And the song that they're singing is called 96,000, which is what people would do with the $96,000 that they would win. And, um, I was looking at it. I, I wrote down some stats here. The scene's nearly six minutes. It features over 500 extras, many of whom were dancers, busting out ballet, hip-hop, synchronized swimming, and bone-breaking moves at Washington Heights' historic Highbridge Pool. And I think that's all you need to say. 500 extras. When you're watching this take place nowadays it seems all these movies got to do everything with green screen and yeah. visual effects and there was something magical about watching this many people and this crane shot especially at the end as it drew back and you saw how many people were splashing around in the pool singing the energy literally jumped off the screen into the audience and you just wanted to cheer after the the scene it was applause worthy all the way around i loved the pool scene I can't believe this was not on Mark's list, but yeah, I mean, he likes he likes an old lady singing. I like the, I I like the old lady contemplating what life meant. What can I say? Of uh, the other one, I've actually, I mean, yeah, the pool scene is great. The one that clicked in my head is I thought maybe it could be on your on your list is um, the them dancing along the side of the building. That's, right. Yeah. Very, that's very cool. great. That's a great scene. That's like that Fred Astaire number where he dances on the walls and the ceiling, but kicked up to you know. 11 it's yeah in terms of the effect no of doubt it, not the yeah. i i mean so the the the, the 98,000 or is it 96,000 96,000 so it, it feels like a, a return to the old movies right like plus i think you're right ryan about the the timing of when we saw this movie all of us were a little tired of the isolation of quarantine and then to just see all these people together like like in this mass at this pool is such a communal event I fed on that energy and it penetrated me in, in, into my soul. It felt good. It was great. In the Heights, if you're keeping score, has come up twice on our favorite scenes of the year. It's streaming on HBO Max. So, I mean, I don't know what people are missing this out for. We are almost through our list, but we're saving our, our two as we go through here. Uh, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we got our top two favorite scenes going round robin here. Favorite two of 2021 plus matt is taking mark on in 
sequel movie trivia, and I'm talking sequels from 2021. So stick with us, Jawheads. Jawheads, we know you're looking for even more ways to enjoy fun movie discussions with us here at Cinema Jaw, and we got you covered. Check out our YouTube channel. In 2022, we're going to be doing more animations, more reviews. We're going to be getting on the YouTubes even more than we have in the past. So be there or be square. Square is in a tube, as in YouTube. Follow us there. And while you're at it, please click subscribe. It helps us out a ton. It helps build the channel and get even more people involved with uh, movie discussions, which is a great thing. Support film, support Cinema Jaw, follow us on YouTube and enjoy. Hey, Jawheads, West Craven Month is officially started. We hope you're as stoked as we are to celebrate this horror master. We got a lot of great stuff coming up to honor Freddy Krueger's dad himself this month, including a retro review of 1977's The Hills Have Eyes. Now, seeing as this came out 44 years ago, before our review comes out, if you need a refresher on the movie, we just wanted to let you know it is streaming on Hoopla, AMC+, Tubi with ads, Canopy, Shutter, and Amazon Prime. We hope you guys can check it out, and we're really excited to share this review with you guys. And we are back on Cinema Jaw, hanging out with Mark Dusick from MarkReviewsMovies.com. Mark. How many movies do you watch for enjoyment without having to review? Do you go back and you watch a movie just to hang out and watch a movie or family comes over and you're like, yes, let's just put on a flick. Do you have time for that? When family comes over, no. Um, And it was actually weird because over Christmas, my sister put on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory because my mom had never seen it somehow. Um, The Gene Wilder or Johnny Depp? Yeah, the Gene Wilder one. She had never oh, seen wow. it somehow. Um, very worth seeing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it was weird because I was like, I don't really feel like a movie right now. <laughs> but I, I still watched it because once the movie starts, I do kind of get sucked in, especially one as good as great as that one. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sit down and watch something. I don't log it on Letterboxd, but because if I did, you people would think I was really just out of it. But yeah, I do watch. I do try to catch up on stuff that I haven't seen before. Um, and I will occasionally, you know, rewatch something from that year or something that I haven't seen in a long time. And I'll just, yeah, I'll watch it for enjoyment. Definitely. So I put, I play a game. There's probably other critics out there that play the same game. Uh, it's a letterbox Mark Dusick game that I made up where <laughs> if I watch the movie and then I, I review it and log it on Letterboxd, if Mark Dusick hasn't seen the movie, I have to chug a whole bottle of Jägermeister. <laughs> <laughs> and, it hasn't happened yet. There we go. I was waiting for it. So you just have a bottle of Jägermeister sitting in. It's just it's ready, just to, go ready to go. It's in the freezer. Yeah. One of these days is going to happen. I mean, there, there's some time, you know, I, I get some weird indie link and I'm like, oh my God, this is great. I'm going to log it in. They're like, one one other <laughs> user on Letterboxd has seen this movie. I'm like, don't even tell me. Yeah, it's Mark Dusick. <laughs> oh. So... We'll get to that, Jaeger, sooner or later. But uh, Jawheads, do check out MarkReviewsMovies.com for all his reviews all throughout the year. Before we get to our top two picks and play some trivia, we got to open up the fish tank and also find out what Phil's favorite scene of the year was. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a 
the giant glass bowl. Hey, get some fish, folk. Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a second message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Hello, how are we doing this week, boys? Happy New Year. I don't know if we said that at the top. Uh, officially, this is the first draw of 2022. Uh, very stoked. We're excited uh, to be closing out 2021. I think I speak for all of us. Uh, we don't. I, I will say you guys are making it easy on me, and I hope that that's your New Year's resolution is to allow me to relax more <laughs> inside the fish tank. There's only one question in here. It is a two-parter, uh, but it was our, our nobody question. Um, when did it come out? And... Uh, is it streaming anywhere since release? Uh, it came out March 26th, 2021. Wow. wow. Very yeah. early. Like crazy. To th- there's been like 80 world catastrophes since then. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> sure, yeah. incredible to think that this movie came out this year. Uh, and unfortunately, it is not included in any streaming subscription services. Uh, just like everything else, though, you can always find it for rent on Apple TV, YouTube, Amazon, um, probably in a red box, too, I'm sure. That's one that check it I out. Would, yeah, it's, I would say it's very worth checking out. It's an unusual movie. I always felt bad for the movies that came out. And part of the reason why I was asking when that came out was it, it was such a, a weird time that nobody was really ready to go back to the theater. Yep. And it was it was a quality film, you know? And I thought like, man, if that would have came out in the summer, it probably would have did at least double, maybe triple the box office it did for coming out in March, right? It would have been a sleeper hit. I agree. If 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 things were a little bit more open and COVID things, you know, were down, if it was in one of the troughs and not one of the peaks, I think a lot more people would have seen it. Well it's no a doubt. weird time too, because I think most of us had probably had our first shot. But you right. still like, what good is that? You know, you yeah. need two. At that time, you needed two in two weeks afterwards. So, Phil, we're talking our favorite scenes of the year. Do you have one other than something from Dragon Slayer? Well, Dragon Slayer isn't a thing. I'm sure it is a thing, but here's what I'll say. I I had to think very hard at, at, at this caveat, but I did find a, a, a suitable replacement, and it is with Matt Kay's... Uh, approval um I, i've been blessed I, I received his blessing to use and uh no way home a scene uh and what i'm picking is the the i don't know like the rescue scene i don't know what we would be calling like what the official name is i, uh, I actually came up with a name because this is one of my my honorable mentions it's it's the amazing rescue of mj yeah. it's like <laughs> i mean we are how proud why, yeah, is that he came up with this name it's incredible. It's like, it's so... No, no, no. I thought it was it's amazing. Emotionally, it's amazing. It, yes, it's amazing. <laughs> it is so emotionally impactful for like uh, uh, 15, 20 seconds that, yeah, just like Matt was saying in the Matrix review, like it was a, a correction uh, in like a redemption arc. Ryan, I think, had said that on the last episode as well. It's really uh, incredibly well done. I, I don't think anyone here would... Dis- I, I hope no one here would disagree with that. Oh, it's a great little Definitely moment. A like a real chump if that if oh. they did. Quality yeah. moment from a quality film, for sure. 100. I, I, I think I, I said it all when I, I, I really meant that. I don't get choked up at these superhero movies the way Matt clearly does. And it was the only time I had like a lump in my throat that I can remember at a superhero film. So it worked. All right. Was that everything, Phil? That's all we got in here this week. All right. Jump back in that fish tank. You bet. We are continuing on with our top five 
favorite scenes of the year. We are at our number twos. Mark, what do you got sitting there? Uh, number two, I have uh, a change in the tone a little bit um, from a documentary called Procession. Right, I'm sure you saw this one at the film festival. I have not, what? believe it or not. Oh, I, I missed this I one have as well. not. Oh, it's on I Netflix. got the screener okay, here. It's so, on Netflix. Yeah. Great film. It's about six men who are survivors of childhood sex abuse um, by priests within the Catholic Church in their respective diocese. They are trying to go through their trauma um, to come to some sort of catharsis about it by making movies about their experiences uh in whatever way they see fit there is this i don't i i will not talk too much about it because you haven't seen it and i have a feeling some other people haven't seen it who are listening but you should definitely see it it's on netflix it's called procession but the scene i'm talking about is called can you play it angry and it's takes it's within this whole thing of shooting one of the scenes that um that a pair i think a pair of them have written and they're directing this scene about this experience within a confessional booth and one of the other survivors is playing a priest and he notices something within the confessional booth that makes it really easy for him to play that scene very very angry um and just the way that that whole sequence encapsulates the feelings of trauma and anger and just everything but also there's this fantastic sense throughout the entire film of all of them working together to help each other through the experience of going through these scenes through their own thing um through their own past and also just trying to figure out a way to help each other through all of it and that comes through in that scene too and i it's just fantastic scene in a really difficult but very 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 rewarding film procession it's on netflix watch it as soon as you can i'm gonna check that one out yeah. for sure i absolutely. love documentaries that was number absolutely four on my 10 best list of the year was that one so wow yeah i didn't highest see documentary was higher but this was oh yeah. nice yeah yeah all right uh over to my number two this is a movie that might be one of the most polarizing films of the year um and I think most people probably did not like it. And not because it's not well-made or well-acted. The craft is there. It's just very challenging. And it is a musical. And I'm talking about Annette. And the, the scene that I would like to highlight from Annette is the duet at the end. Um, wow. If what you, a moment. If what you a moment. make it there, if you... And, and I talked to one of our, you know what? I'm not going to name names. Let's just say I've, I talked to a few of our critic friends, more than one who, who gave up on Annette and I don't blame them. I honestly don't blame them. But if you make it to the end of this movie, there is a reward. It does pay out because the ending is one of the most haunting endings since the first time you watched the Blair Witch Project. And wow, did it devastate me? The singing, the duet, like everything about it. And, and Adam Driver's not a great singer, but this little girl that they got to play um, Annette was fantastic. She's only got like two, three, five minutes on screen and she melts it down. Just devastating, devastating. And, and so totally worth sitting through that very, very challenging movie for. That's what I have to say. I, I was a fan of Annette. I know, it, it's it, exactly what you said. It's it's polarizing, but I thought there were actually two, three great scenes. The one that you just highlighted there, oh, yeah. fantastic, and and that's 
such a complicated scene too. You know, it's it's a complex moment. Uh, there's a lot of emotion going on there. But even in the middle, I love the the conductor scene when. Um, I always butcher that guy, that actor's name. He's from uh, one of the television shows, um, and he plays the conductor. Yeah, do you know who, who it is, Marco? I'm thinking it's of the Simon. Um, ba, 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 yeah, ba, ba. Simon Helberg. Yes, Sizen, he, Simon Helberg. He is really good in a movie I really dislike, which is in that I really <laughs> dislike in that. Oh, I you did. I, did. I don't blame you. I, I don't blame you at all. I know. I, so I love that. I love that scene, and I also love the way this movie opens with that that wonderful yeah. uh, number. That was fun. Can we now, now start? That was extremely fun. So I think between those three, I think are all highlights uh, of a very polarizing movie. Yeah, I think, I'm curious. Let's explore real quick, Mark. Yeah. Why do you hate this movie? Um, songs are pretty bad, except for I think the three we listed and one of those i don't even think the simon helberg number is a song i think that's just a spoken spoken word monologue for the most part if i remember right um yeah the opening's fun and then i just i couldn't stand the songs i i couldn't they it's like we love each other so much the entire like the lyrics to the entire song we love each other so much i just i i couldn't take it it was just it was painful um i loved yeah, it i just i was not a fan of it at all i didn't think the story was had much to say about fame and celebrity and in, in any thoughtful or provoking way um the, the artifice of it and i know it's a musical and so that sounds dumb but i mean the art the straight up artifice of it uh, with the baby annette puppet it's just it, it was too much and it didn't it didn't do anything for me hmm. yeah I know, I know. The big question, the big question is, if you were a paying customer, would you go see Adam Driver stand up comedy? That's what I want to know. <laughs> no, <laughs> I've been watching some really like interesting comedians recently, and some of them are a lot worse than anything he did, um, and <laughs> at least kind of trying to make jokes. So that was, um, yeah, no, I was, I did not care for Annette. Wow. All right. Yeah. I know why. I know what you mean. And it's yeah. totally fine. I know. Totally fine. Everyone everyone who have said that to is like, okay, yeah, I get it. I get why you didn't like it. I still loved it. This is their response, but you, you know. You know, there's movies that like you 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 love and you're you're offended when people don't love them. I think everybody's agrees. And that's that's fine. You didn't like it, that's fine. We understand. Yeah. yeah. I don't get offended when people don't love the yeah. stuff I love because I love some weird things sometimes in terms of movies. <laughs> On to my number two and a film that did not make my top 10, maybe top 25. I don't know. I haven't uh, ranked it out all the way to 25, but probably be somewhere around that number. But man, did I love the way this film ended. It is the duel from the last duel. And it's a film that... Uh, Caught me off guard. I, I I know Ridley Scott came out talking about uh, millennials um, and their cell phones are the reason why this movie didn't do so well. But I don't give a damn why it didn't so, do so well. I'm here to tell you why I liked it so much. And I hope that my love of this particular scene helps maybe some people catch this one on uh, demand or rent it somewhere. But the scene is The Last Duel. The, mil- the film is set up for this moment. And this is the idea that two people have said one thing. This person says one thing. The other person has said another. And it deals with Adam Driver and Matt Damon's character. Matt Damon feels that Adam Driver has 
raped his wife. And we see the story unfold into the last duel through three different storylines of exactly what happened. And it leads to this big moment. And it was, in fact, the last duel that took place in France of a a judicial duel. This was actually meant to say, hey, at the time, whoever wins the duel actually was right because God said. And it's been a long time that a movie has been built up to a moment like that. And I actually didn't have an inkling on who was going to win. It felt like I was watching a boxing match or a sporting event. Yeah. I, I, I like sat up I sat up in my chair like, what the hell is going to happen here? This is incredible. And the scene is actually brutal, but exciting. And, it, you know, it, it makes you excited just to see the filmmaking, but actually see the action on screen of where this is going to go. I was along for the entire ride of the last 20 minutes of The Last Duel. Big fan of the movie in general and of the last scene. Mark, I know you've seen this one. Yeah, I, and I liked it. And yeah, that last duel is, is yeah, it's it's a great sequence. Ridley Scott can still, you know, we're talking about Spielberg being able to direct a musical out of nowhere, seemingly. But yeah, Ridley Scott can still direct the hell out of an action sequence and yeah it does you have no clue what's going to happen it is brutal you understand everything that's happening you understand the stakes of it the great thing is the way that the person who's not participating in the duel but whose entire actual fate is determined by it is sitting there too and it's yeah it's really really great sequence yep it is yes the last duel available to rent if you missed it in the theaters do check it out jawheads my number two favorite scene it leaves us with our favorite scenes of 2021. I don't think Annette's going to be listed here. Probably not. <laughs> Mark, Sorry. what do you got at number one? I was a safe bet. Um, so my number one, um, it's a little bit of a cheat because it's my number one movie of the year, too. It's from Nine Days. I'm calling it A Day at the Beach. And I like it. I haven't yeah. seen this one. Okay, Um, so the setup of Nine Days is that um, Winston Duke plays a man in a sort of pre-life where souls come and can be chosen to go to the real world. Kind of. Oh, this is a Pixar movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. You're getting to it. (laughs) It's kind of like that, except it's more about morality and ethics and what the meaning of life is on in this little tiny house in the middle of the desert. so th- there's this very, very minimalistic production design to the whole film. And that kind of transfers over into Winston Duke's character, who's got a secret about his past. He was once alive and he kind of hides all that from everybody, what he did and why he was you know, disappointed in the life that he had. But you see it come out in a couple of scenes when he's trying to give these souls who could or could not have a moment um, you know have an entire life before them an actual taste of what life could be like um and so for one character he sets up it's the first time that they do this gimmick um he sets up this whole elaborate staging to make it seem like he's actually on the beach for a day and it the scene just it it really i i the whole film kind of speaks to you on this deeper level without really diving into like it doesn't it's not on the nose about it it's more about feeling it through these characters and their experiences and the the discussions they have and everything and this scene just makes the idea of life so tactile and so 
precious and so fleeting and also the, the artifice of it. And you get an idea of what Winston Duke's character was all about in his life through it. It's just this great scene. There are like, there's a few other scenes that are like that. And then there's the big climactic scene at the very end where all of that comes out. And those are other great scenes, but I picked the day at the beach from nine days is my best scene of the year because it's just, it just, it, it says so much about what the film is doing and how it's doing it. That's the important thing. This sort of minimalistic, realistic view of what it would be like to experience this sort of pre-life and what life means to various people and by extension to us. How did I miss this movie, man? I love Winston great. Duke. I, I oh, love he's Winston. fantastic in this. He's, I think, still somewhat underrated. Like when you look at us and, um, oh man, I'm having a brain fart on the actress who played the lead in us. Um, Why am I too? Oh no, because yeah. I'm thinking of this. Um, oh, damn. Oh, hang on. I'm just going to look it up. Napita. Lupita Nyong'o. How do you say it? Yeah, it was Lupita. Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o from us. Everybody kind of gives her the the credit, and rightfully so. But Winston Duke also plays two characters very, very well. Yes, he's kind of a mute in one of the characters and a, a goofy dad in the other. But he's great, dude. I, I and And I... I just think uh, he's somewhat of an unsung hero right now. So uh, I don't know how I missed this one, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely catch up with this. And he's he's fantastic in it. It's a very, very subtle, quiet, internalized performance. It, it's This is great. another one. I, I mean, you're talking about how we missed it. It came out earlier in the year. I did go and watch it, yeah. but I, I wish it got a bigger like awards push. It, it, here at the end I, it seems like it just got buried at the end of the year it did get buried and i don't know why i think part of it is i think it played it didn't it played sundance like the year before and so i think a couple of people kind of like who saw it at sundance that prior year might have gotten confused like oh that that's coming out now and it didn't get it didn't get like even the the marketing push because i mm. think a lot of critics even just sort of like, oh, I guess I guess that came out. Go see it. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's a great film, obviously. No doubt. You know. I mean, I mean, just I mean, I saw it just went to the theater to see it because I don't even remember if I missed the, the press screening or what it was. But to give you an idea, there was no push. You know, I was like, missed it. All right, I'll go catch this one in the theater. But do check it out. Jawheads. Nine days. I don't have to stream it anywhere, but I know it's on. It's available for rent for sure. Matt, you're number one. All right. My number one is probably the only one that's somewhat predictable on my list. But I also when when we said we we're doing scenes of the year, this is the first one that popped into my head. It, it is like just an eviscerating scene. I rewatched it. Uh, you know, I've rewatched it several times since I first saw it, but I rewatched it again today. And and yeah, I was I, I am correct in, in thinking that this is one of the best scenes of the year. Certainly one of the most memorable. Nicholas Cage in what I'm calling uh, a word with the chef from the movie Pig. And wow, Nicolas Cage's character looks this guy in the eye and stares straight through him. And you know what? Let's just let's just take a listen to this moment here, Jawheads. What is the concept here? Um, well... Uh, we're interested in taking 
local ingredients uh, native to this region and, and just deconstructing them, you know, making the, the familiar feel foreign, thereby giving us uh, an even greater appreciation of food as a whole. This is the kind of cooking you like? It's cutting edge. It's very exciting. Exciting. I mean, everybody loves it. You like cooking it? Absolutely. Derek, what was it you always used to talk about opening? Wasn't it a pub? Everyone loves it here. It's, this is a huge success. Why didn't you open your pub? I, 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 I don't know that I, I really wanted. Uh, I mean, obviously, that was such a long time ago. When I fired you, I asked you what you wanted to do. You said you have a few rooms upstairs. A real English pub. Did, did I, say, I say that? Yes. Nobody wants pubs around here. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, just a terrible investment. What was going to be your signature dish? Liver scotch eggs with a honey curry mustard. <laughs> <laughs> They're not real. You get that, right? None of it is real. The critics aren't real. The customers aren't real. Because this isn't real. You aren't real. <laughs> okay. Derek, why do you care about these people? They don't care about you. None of them. They don't even know you. Because you haven't shown them. Every day you'll wake up and there'll be less of you. You live your life for them, and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. What, what a moment this was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. Nick Cage just sort of <sighs> cuts this guy down to the bone, right? Like that's a good food analogy. He he just shaves the meat right off of him and leaves him exposed. And um, it's it's really at that time that I I think I, I teetered with this film. Do I take it seriously or don't I? All the way up actually until that particular moment where I was like, oh yeah, this is a serious film because I I think my problem with it earlier, Matt, was I mentioned and and we we even talked about how it has some relation to John Wick, not in, in the sense of like action, but the hidden world, so on and so forth. And there's this odd scene where he goes into like the basement of a restaurant and he starts boxing people. I never understood it at all. I didn't know what was going on. And it led to that moment in this restaurant where all of a sudden he has this conversation that's like, oh my God, this is like a real monologue from Nick Cage. Like, what? sit up in your chair and take note. This guy is giving a masterclass in acting, and everything about it is perfect. Uh, were you a fan of this one, Mark? Yeah, I like this one. And yeah, that scene is just, he fillets his soul to continue with the cooking stuff. Yeah, it's that's a great scene. And, and a movie that is really weird and also very thoughtful and touching. Surprisingly, it came out of nowhere. I, yeah, I enjoy that one. And Nick Cage is great in it. Good pick, Matt. Yeah. Is Nick Cage back, you guys? Is he back? Cage, he's, he's never been no, gone. He's never been gone. He's just been That's doing what stuff you say, for... 
That's not true. Five years look, ago. Mitt, look, Mitt, you, you just hit him in your taxes. number one a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's right, true. Right, but Mandy, that's not that's not a movie that like Brad Pitt would have done, right? But either is Pig. Pig Pig's still, I know we're celebrating it here on Cinema John, the critics, but the vast majority of people still have not seen Pig. It's still a very, very small movie. I mean, most people have not probably heard of it, much less seen the movie. Right. I, I'm just saying that's what I'm saying. Is he back? Because next year we get the the massive weight of or the crushing weight of massive talent or whatever it's called. He's he's stepping back up to the A list. I think I could be wrong. We all love Nick Cage. Well, I mean, paying back taxes is a you know pain in the ass. So I mean, when you do that, you got you take whatever you can get, and sometimes it's not good. So yeah, that's the problem. But now I think he might have he might be able to be a bit more selective in what he can do. So my number one is, as I mentioned at the top, a favorite closing scene of a movie, and it comes from my number one film of the year. I don't know where Mark sits on this one at all. Uh, I forget looking at his letterbox exactly where, where he rated this one. But uh, it is Titan is my number one movie of the year. And it is the closing. It, it, it Part of this going on the journey of this movie, and I, I talked about it when we, we uh, did our top 10 with uh, Tawarico, going on the journey of this film is part of the joy of it. It's, it's wild. It's crazy. And it... it, it, it hits a point it crescendos if you will to a moment of cinematic bliss it's it's a moment that is so crazy that you're still involved in the fact that this person is giving birth to a child that we don't know exactly what's going to happen the music is playing the acting's phenomenal you're sort of uh grossed out but you're you're emotionally moved i like to think of it as uh let's say this you know when you go on a roller coaster and they take a picture of you when you're going down the big big slope and, and they get you when you're scared or that, that facial reaction? I would have loved a camera in my screening room when I was watching the ending of Titan <laughs> to see exactly what my face was registering because what I remember of it best was shock. I think my, my jaw was probably dropped. My hand was over it, but I had tears coming out of my eye uh, also because I was emotionally moved by the moment. That very seldom happens where I can be horrified, emotionally moved, shocked all in one instance, and it happened at the end of Titan. I, Mark, I haven't talked to you about this movie. I know it's a wild one, and we're not going to go into full discussion of it because you can talk about this movie for hours, but were you a fan or weren't you of Titan? I was not a fan, and I know I offended you <laughs> deeply on that one. No, I was not a fan of it. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. It's cool. It's like the you know, Annette, hey, everybody's syndrome. It's okay. Everybody's wrong every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yep, but yes, Titan. The ending of it, Jawheads. Enjoy, enjoy this movie. All right, that was my number one. Matt hasn't seen this one yet, no, so oh, I, no I, comment I from Matt. Yeah. Honorable mentions. I told you I, I wrote some down throughout the year. I'm going to go bullet very fast. Here we go. Go ahead. Um, right off the top, when I'm looking at it, of all the ones I wrote down, the first four were already mentioned by you guys. How about um, there's a few classic moments in Summer of Soul. It opens with Stevie Wonder, which is absolutely incredible uh, performance. But you also have uh, some musical numbers in there in Summer of Soul that are knocking your socks off. Last night in Soho, the f 
what I'm calling the reflection scene. And this is the first time that Thomas and Mackenzie goes out and see, constantly sees the reflection um, when she goes to the bar. I thought that entire sequence of moving the camera around and switching the two girls was uh, quite incredible. Finch, the Tom Hanks robot movie. Yeah, that's a good one. I mentioned how much I loved the moment when he actually created uh, the robot, Jeff, and talking to him. Only Hanks could pull that off. It was literally incredible. Venus Williams walking out of the locker room in King Richard with the braids. Speaking of King Richard, the kitchen scene between uh, the father and the mother of Serena and two, Venus two Williams. Wonder, two wonderful moments from a wonderful film. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, both, those, both those scenes are literally incredible. <laughs> yep. And uh, I don't know how you guys feel about that. I mean, I talked about uh, one of these, The Power of the Dog, literally magnificent with uh, the ending. And I, I don't want to get too much into it because it's spoiler uh, territory if you haven't seen it. But I, I mentioned that there's so many emotions going on in one particular scene, uh, you know, sexual tension. You're 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 sort of thrilled and and wondering where the film is is going to go and and finally conclude. Love the way that movie ended. And last but not least, I did like DiCaprio's freakout scene in Don't Look Up when he is on the newscast and he finally had enough. I, I'm calling it his um, I'm mad as hell moment. I I went for it. I like that moment. Any honorables for you? I got a couple. Just a couple. I mean, Phil mentioned the the amazing save of MJ. Uh, I'm going to say the uh, pregnancy to birth in the movie Old um, from M. Night Shyamalan. (laughs) It was a fun fun sort of return to form from him. And then I will say that that the the naked run in Sean Baker's Red Rocket. Oh, that's great. (laughs) I mean, that's something that's going to stick with you for a while. So... That's all I got. Any honorables, Mark? Yeah, the bye 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 scene in Red Rocket. That's on my list of yeah. honorable mentions. Um, three great scenes in Drive My Car, talk in the back seat, rehearsal in the park, and the play at the end. Uh, the Christmas game in The Green Knight. Um, oh, great one. Yeah. Uh, the haunting truth at the end of Identifying Features. Um, Lakeith Stein- Stanfield has a shudder in Judas and the Black Messiah that sent chills to my through my spine where he kind of just realizes like the guilt and the weight of everything that he's about to do. Just great moment of physical acting. That was one of them. Um, the fatal farce at the end of a film called Silent Night. It's a British comedy about the end of the world. That's fantastic. With Karen Knightley. Yes. I, I have not seen it yet. Oh, that's on my top 10, too. That was my number 10 of the year. It's the little one that got away from people, but it's really good. Um, and uh, The Cauldron in Tragedy of Macbeth. The floor turns into a cauldron for the yes. fire, double, double, toil and trouble sequence. Man, the cinematography in that movie was literally incredible, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. One other great one. I know we've all seen this one. The French Dispatch. Yeah. Wes Anderson. I love the Jeffrey Wright scene. Oh, Probably my favorite. Bad. I'm. It, it, it's so I'm not great. a fan of the movie. Jeffrey Wright is great. <laughs> I mean, there there's some moments in there where it's like, yes, this is clearly working. I don't think that the whole film works as much, even though it did make your top ten, man. It was my I yeah. It was that. my number ten for sure. For sure, I liked it. Jawheads, if we missed your favorite scene of 2021, you have Twitter pulled up. Shoot us a tweet. 
We're at CinemaJaw, or you can always email us. We're feedback at CinemaJaw.com. We like to end all of our podcasts with a fun trivia game. And in honor of 2021, a, a year that saw many sequels, we're playing sequel movie trivia of 2021. All right. Mark, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first. Let Matt K go first. There are steals. And if you get caught up on any question, you get one rescue. Rescue me, Ryan. They start off easy, Mark. What do you want to do? I'm going to kick off. <laughs> I will have Matt receive. Okay. Wow. <laughs> this changes everything. I swear to God. Here we go. Question one. Matt, they start off easy. I said, Venom got a sequel in 2021. Who played Carnage? Woody Harrelson. There we go. One to nothing. Mark is kicking himself for kicking yeah. off. Yeah, this is a bad idea. <laughs> Question two over to Mark. Chris Rock appeared in a sequel in 2021. Name it. See, I think this is where seeing 500 movies is to your detriment. <laughs> gonna, yeah, exactly. This is going to be a problem. Um, oh, God. Could it possibly have been... I, I do want to, to mention, um, too, just so to, to clarify, sequel, it doesn't always have to be the number two in a series. You guys get it. It's just oh, OK. A, you know well, that I, mean? I don't know if that helps. I don't know if you're giving me a little hint there or not. Oh, God, was he? Everyone was in it. Was he in Coming to America? That is incorrect. <laughs> Matt, you got a chance for a steal and to blow this thing wide open. Spiral <laughs> from the Book of Saw. Oh, God. Oh, that is correct. <laughs> Mark is kicking himself now. Oh, that embargo killed me, apparently. I'm not allowed to reveal anything about the movie or remember it, I guess. Wow. Two oh. to nothing, Matt K. I didn't see it going this way. Question three, Matt, over to you. Okay. Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, and John Krasinski appeared in this 2021 oh. sequel. Why did I do this? I mean, it's a quiet place, too. That is correct. Three to nothing, Matt K. You got a big hill to climb here, Matt okay, no. Mark. Here we go. I'm going to go for question a two-point conversion here. <laughs> question four is over to Mark. Netflix gave us a horror movie and its two sequels all in the same year, one week apart from each other. Uh -huh. What was the name of the series? Fear Street. That is correct. He is on the board with Fear Street. It is three to one. Matt K in the lead. Question five is over to him. That should have been worth three points, though, because it was three movies. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I like this. I like the thinking. Matt, Selma Hayek, Antonio Banderas, and Ryan Reynolds appeared in a sequel. Name the movie's title. And we need an exact answer. Ryan Reynolds, Antonio Banderas... In a sequel, 2021 sequel? That is what we're playing. 2021 okay. right. sequel, okay. believe Fair it enough. or not. Let me have a drink of beer. This is where I am drawing a blank. I have no idea. I can't even name. Hmm. Mark looks really happy that he's crawling right back into hmm. this ball game. <laughs> what did Antonio Banderas and, and Ryan Reynolds even do together this year? Um, Desperado 3. Oh, I wish. That is incorrect. Yeah, me too. I would love to see that. <laughs> Mark, you got a chance for a steal here. What do we got? Uh, 
The hitman's wife's bodyguard. Oh, yeah. That is correct. If I'm not mistaken, was it either that or Free Guy that we did Ryan Reynolds month after? But I, I'm pretty sure it was this movie is why we did that. We spent a whole month talking about yeah, this oh, movie. That's that, was in, that was in like February. I mean. Yeah. All right. It's, it's three to two. And question six is over to Mark. He can tie it up here. Mark. Director Nina DaCosta followed up her first feature film, Little Woods, with this highly anticipated horror sequel. Candyman, 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 Candyman. Wow, he went for it. <laughs> you better watch three out behind three. you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you let me know if you see anything behind me here. I'll let you know. Okay. We got a good ball game here. Two questions left. We're all tied up. Matt, question seven is over to you. Speaking of horror, Michael Chavis took over for James Wan to give us this third horror installment. We need a full name of the movie. Oh, okay. Okay. Jesus, man. I mean, obviously it's the one with the Warrens. It's, it's in the um, conjuring universe. Full name. What full name of the movie? Full name of the movie. Mm, boy, I've never wanted to open up my notebook more. Oh, trying to think of what happens in the week. give me a second on this one come on let me think we'll give you one second the jawheads are all thinking about it right now as they're listening to this they're like boy that matt k is an idiot <laughs> what does he got here what does he got they're in connecticut oh boy <laughs> He loves the Connecticut. I was going to say, that's not going to help you. Of all the things that you could pull out about this movie to get the subtitle, Matt. They go, they go into a secret underground place. There's a witch. She's casting spells. She's taking over people. Didn't Older. make any of our Older. favorite scenes. But actually, that particular moment was really good when they went to the morgue. I remember that was, that was pretty thrilling. I, I like I like the Warrens as uh, both of them. Uh, um, <laughs> All right, doesn't change anything. We need the name of the movie, the full title of the movie. You got three seconds. The, oh, oh, I got it. The, oh no, the, the the Conjuring, the Devil Made Me Do It. Right. Wow. Unbelievable. Holy crap! Can't believe Unbelievable. it. Can't believe it. It is. It is four to three. It comes down to the last question of the game. Mark, please tie this yeah. one up. Okay. Here we go. Okay. James Earl Jones appeared in one <laughs> film in 2021, and it happened to be a sequel. Name the movie. I'll tell you what. It was not. It was not Spiral for the Book of Saw because it was coming to America. That is correct. <laughs> We well have done. tied it up. Well oh done. Oh, my God. Four to four. It comes down to a jawbreaker. This question would have been over to Mark. Mark, mm -hmm. better horror sequel, Halloween Kills or Escape Room 2? Ooh. This is what you think, right? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> this is the empirical fact. Yes. Te technically. Is, oh, God. This, yeah. Techni you can. You can already look this up on Wikipedia. It's a fact. Oh, but don't. <laughs> Wait, don't. Wait, Wait I'm going to say Halloween Kills. It's probably wrong. Absolutely incorrect. It's, it's Escape Room too. All right, okay. that was a joke. Here we are. Your tips. <laughs>
The real jawbreaker is this. Age of Patrick Wilson, who's in the Conjuring movies, Ooh. closest to the age of Patrick Wilson. Matt, you got to guess. Wait, who, who? I honestly don't know. Who is Patrick he's Wilson? He's the Warren. All right. He's the Warren. No, he's, he's not. The, oh, oh, Matt, oh, you he's, love he's, yeah. horror. How yeah. do you not know Patrick Wilson? I just didn't know the characters, the actor's name. He's Night. He's Nighthawk. He's he's the guy from uh, from from. Um, Correct. Yeah. The Watchmen. Um Let's say he's he's got to be in his 50s. I'd say 53. Lock oh. him in at 53. It's a oh. tie game. Mark, lower. What do we got here? You literally Higher. took my exact answer. I was going to say 53 as well. Um, I am going to say. One dollar, Bob. Oh, God. I'm going to say 54. Ladies and gentlemen. Matt K is a winner. Oh. Oh. He's 53, isn't he? No, 48. No. 48. No way. <laughs> wow. He's, he's, I yes. think he must be younger than Vera Firminga then. He turns 49 in oh, July man. of next year. Oh, yeah, I should have gone the other way. Oh, yeah. well. Unbelievable. Wow. That was a ball game right there. Can I get a virtual yeah. handshake? Yeah, there you go. Vir- there virtual you go. knuckles. This bump. <laughs> Boom. Good times. Brings us to the end of a very fun and entertaining jaw. We got to thank our guest, Mark Dusick, for coming on. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for having me. It's fun as always. We also got to thank our producer, our engineer, our editor, Phil Me and Phil. You guys know I wouldn't be anywhere else. Matt, we should also thank the sponsors. We should, Ryan. Let's thank the sponsors. Let's thank Overcast and the Chicago Podcast Co-op who help us get great sponsors. Jawheads, if you want to support this podcast, the easiest way to do so is by leaving us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And another great way to support us is join us on Patreon. We're doing fun things over there, and it's, you know, a little community building up. Please do it. No doubt. Absolutely. And last but not least, Phil said it earlier, Happy New Year. We're looking forward to a great 2022 of Talking Movies, Matt K. Yes. If nothing else in 2022, come what may, we will be talking about movies. So you have no doubt to look forward to. Yes. And look forward to it. You will. Until next week, I'm Ryan, the movie guy. I'm Matt K. And And keep keep on on John about about the the movies. movies.